Hi, box to box listeners. Alex and I initially recorded this as if it was going to be all one episode, but we spent so long talking that we decided to split it into two for you. So this is part one of our season preview. We're just covering WSL on this one, and the second part will be out later this week, covering all of Europe. All right, on with the show. And welcome back to Box to Box as we prepare to get started for a new season, our third season, second and a half season, technically, I guess. Um, for any new listeners, I'm Alex Ibaceta and I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jesse, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited for the for the new season. I feel like when I was doing the outline for the script for today, I was like, oh, like I remembered how many interesting things there are. To happen it's been a weird summer considering that the euros was right smack in the middle yeah i feel like there were lots of like signings and stuff which i was like oh i totally i mean we'll talk about later but lika martins to psg i was like i told i was like who psg signed this summer i was like oh shit that happened yeah so we're st- okay so we're starting with that <laughs> stars we mean to go on <laughs> this is a great start the wound hasn't really um healed yet on that one but a new season fast approaches and things have already kicked off in Italy. Might I mention that Cristina Giorelli got a hat trick in the opening of the season, as you do. Um, but in England, France and Spain, the ball gets rolling in the league this weekend. Whilst Germany begin with the DFL Pokal. How do you pronounce that, Jesse? Pokal. Pokal. Um, before the Fram Bundesliga starts the weekend after. So... While we while we're here in the introduction, we're gonna kind of update everyone on how we're gonna approach this new season. We're obviously gonna be focusing on the WSL a lot, considering that we both live here and we have easy access to it. But I think this season we're gonna expand a bit more across Europe. So the first half of the episode would be WSL, and the second half would be the biggest headlines across Europe. Um, that being Spain, France. Italy, Germany, and wherever the good games and the drama is, basically, because we all know we love drama. But for this episode, in our season preview, we're going to start with the WSL, as I mentioned, then jump across Europe. Jesse, this seems like a dumb question to ask you, but where do you want to begin? Yeah, we've got to start with Chelsea, don't we? Because it's the best best football team in Europe. Uh... Yeah, I think Chelsea is also a good place to start because I feel like they're quite an interesting team in terms of I feel like it's been a really good window in terms of the signings. Kadisha Buchanan, Yelena Kankovic, Joanna Rittin-Kanarid, Eve Perisette and Katarina Svitkova. I think it's been a very sensible set of signings actually um, and maybe you know the glamour signing still to come of, of Graske Euro which is I was talking on London is Blue last night about whether it's like kind of a nice to have rather than need to have but it would be nice to have and so I think I feel very confident about Chelsea, uh, which is maybe a dumb thing, but I think, you know, for last season, it was so obvious that Chelsea hadn't been able to get the business they wanted to do done. 
and that there were such obvious gaps in the squad still. Whereas I think maybe with, with kind of the notable exception of the fullback areas, although I, I do think Perisette's a good addition, but I, I still don't know if that's quite fixed. They very obviously picked up players who will improve the squad, both in terms of players who are going to go in and start, like Buchanan, like Perisette, and then players who I think are just going to offer a bit more of a boost, like like the Svitkovas or, or the Kankovic's. Um, Lauren James as well, I think, I'm really, really excited for... It's basically a new signing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's such a cliche. It? <laughs> it's like a new signing. But she is. She's She's looked so good. Like, she's looked so good in pre-season. And I think, again, just, like, a really great addition to that to that front line. Yeah, I think with Lauren James, it is technically a new signing. Obviously, it's not. But I think the what I understood was that the injury that she was carrying from Man United, Chelsea really wanted to get that out of the way entirely and kind of sacrifice an entire season basically to get that over the line. Um, so hopefully she does stay fit. Um, we know that's been a bit of concern, especially when she was at Man United, but I think Lauren James could do well, especially, I mean, the reason why Chelsea need a midfield is to replace G and Manny Leupold's. Cause that's, I mean, those are big, big gaps considering that one or the other was always starting for Chelsea for the entire season throughout, if not maybe both. But yeah, there's there's a lot of pressing questions overall. We can talk about it a bit, Jesse, but Buchanan, you now have three starting centre backs. Mm. And we've talked about it. And there's only one there's one logical answer, but is it really that logical for Chelsea to put Magda Eriksson as a fullback? Yeah, I I mean I I'm kind of into it. I like the idea of playing playing the back four. I mean I guess, you know, you can do the back three of Bright, Ericsson and Buchanan and then have Guru as your left wing back still. Um, but I, I like the back four because I think it's nice to have the number 10 position and I think that really suits harder. And I was intrigued. I went and looked at Ericsson's numbers from last season and I did think it was interesting. Obviously, they're quite the raw numbers are quite hard to extrapolate from because Chelsea simply don't like tackle that many people. So, But, but in terms of the percentage of dribblers tackled... She tackles 57%, which puts her in the 80th percentile. This is obviously WSL data. And she's only dribbled past once every five games, which puts her in the 92nd percentile. And I'm like, okay. Would that be more because she's playing next to Millie Bright, who, if she gets beat, then Magda is the one to sweep that up? Well, I mean, it's, that's why it's hard, right? Because are they, are they players coming at her? But I think either way, I'm like, they seem like pretty good 1v1 numbers, which is the like probably Chelsea's concern. The only thing I think about it is Magda's really good at stepping forward with the ball and I don't know if you get to do that in the same way at, at fullback. What do you think of that in the Euros? I didn't love it. I still think her best position is left-sided centre-back in a four. But in but the reality is that is not going to happen at Chelsea this season. Unless we play Millie Bright up front and we have a back. <laughs> centre-back <laughs> Millie Bright to replace Sam Kerr. In a 4-2-3-1 with Millie Bright as yeah. the one up top. Yeah. Sam Sam out on the right. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I guess the other... We talked about... I didn't watch it. Um, I ditched Jesse. I was supposed to go to the, the Chelsea Spurs match, um, but I ditched because I had my own match. But also, Aaron Cuthbert, instead of being a wing back in that back three or just on the wing in general, she, she started in that deep centre midfield position, didn't she? Yeah. Which was very interesting considering how chaotic when you look at other pivots 
you know, they got Kira Walsh, Bathory, the very typical pivots, and then there's Aaron Cuthbert. <laughs> she has Lena Oberdorf energy, though. She's just small. <laughs> but she has that, it's that same kind of, like... I would say I would say more chaotic, definitely. Yeah, sure. But Lena Oberdorf is, like, sneakily chaotic, I think. Le- but that's the thing, though. It's sneakily. Yeah, I know. Aaron's too Aaron Cuthbert is just chaotic. <laughs> no, but it's more... I mean, we know she's capable of it in t- on a footballing level, but in terms of, yeah, just chaotic. Especially if you're having a out-of-position left-back Magda Eriksson. If players are able to get around Aerith Cuthbert, then she's kind of leaving the entire back line exposed. But I think that's what will be interesting, especially if Gayora comes in, is whether it is a 4-2-3-1 and you play Gayora and Cuthbert together as a double pivot. Which I think sounds quite sexy. Very brother. Would you put P in the midfield? Yeah. That's the 10. Hmm. And Guru on one side, Sam up top. Fran or Lauren on the other side, depending on fitness. Okay. That's not too bad. It's not too bad, is it? I haven't really thought of a starting 11. I think the out of position Magda really throws me off. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think also, ultimately, whatever happens, whether Magda's at left back, knowing what Emma Hayes is like, and the fact that Guru played left wing back all through last season you'll see that rotate round. So it might be just one of those things. But Alex. No. What are you saying? Where are Chelsea finishing? <laughs> Put your cards on the table. I want WSL position and I want Champions League position. You're not getting out of the group stage. Really? No, it's a hard one. It's a hard one because I think the group stage, well, obviously it does depend on who you get, but I think the group stage should be fine. But then once you get to knockout rounds, I would be backing other teams other- out like other than Chelsea solely because like when you look at I mean Wolfsburg is kind of okay I don't think we can talk about Wolfsburg because Wolfsburg are like in a league of their own right now but when you look at other teams when you have a even like a Real Madrid who have we're going to talk about later but they have an amazing team and they've been building up for so long and I know Chelsea in theory have too but at the same time not really because there's been so much change in terms of players and like especially the last two seasons where Emma Hayes is still trying to finalize her favorite formation, favorite players in X, Y, Z positions. I think when it gets to the knockout rounds, I think Chelsea can easily crumble again. And that's, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse has their prediction, which is not mine. I think we're going to win. No, I've kind of been saying that as a joke. I think there are like two or three teams, probably Barcelona, Wolfsburg and Lyon, who I would say are all on a consistent basis better than Chelsea. But I also feel like we could beat all three of those teams on the day. It's almost like the opposite of what you're saying, right? You feel like there are are teams who could exploit Chelsea's weaknesses, but I also think Chelsea have the ability to exploit those teams' weaknesses. WSL, I think we're going to win again, personally. It's sad to say, but I... (sighs) I think it's more up to everyone else to beat Chelsea rather than Chelsea beat everyone else, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. Like, I like Chelsea have it nailed down unless someone comes in and swoops it up. And if nobody really lives up to wanting to win the league, then Chelsea's just going to win it again, which is really annoying. But I think Arsenal can do it, but I, I, they've been so secretive in terms of preseason and where the players are and kind of speaking out on what they want to do this season and stuff that it's kind of hard to scope out how they're actually going to get on. Yeah. So I, but I, I'm just going to give it to Chelsea and then I think that's the most obvious answer. All right. Go on, explain to us what on earth 
Arsenal have been doing this summer? Because I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I... Mm. The transfer market. Okay, so even even before Jonas got here, we've always needed to vamp up the midfield every single transfer window. And obviously, the biggest concern has been the Leovalti backup for the past three seasons. And Malengut came in, fair enough. She was a really good player, to be fair. And she was, I think she could have been a really good backup to, to Leovalti. But then obviously she got injured um is now taking a break from football. So I don't know if Arsenal did that to her or not. That was that was sarcasm, everyone. So that was that was a decent signing, but she was always going to be second team. And I think she was at the point in her career where she wanted to play a lot of football. And then obviously when she wasn't and she got injured, she didn't really find it as enjoyable, and which is fair enough. Um, but Leo Valti backup still hasn't happened for now the third consecutive season. And it's really concerning considering now you have the problem of you're dropping Viv back into the midfield and that takes away a position in the midfield. So now you have essentially one position left in the midfield and you have Kim Little, Jordan Nobbs, Manu Obuchi to fill in that one role. And who do you put in behind Viv and in front of Leo Valti? And it just doesn't make any sense. And Freedom Adam as well. It doesn't make any sense. And I just, I'm very curious to see what Jonas is going to do in terms of having Viv in the midfield and how that restructures the entirety of the team. And we were talking about it, yeah, on our blog, also, the style of play that he wants to do, whether it's going to be more of a... I know it's a Barcelona thing, but whether you have, you know, Leo Valti as battery and then you have Alexia and Adana who play very much on their own sides, but basically leveled with each other. So they both play a kind of eight in a ten role, but just on one side and the left side, for example. So whether he wants to do that, which seems unlikely, I... I feel like Viv is just going to want to stay next to the central striker and have that free role to basically do whatever the fuck she wants, which is, you know, fair enough. But it'll be, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. And obviously the transfer window being so quiet and not having that pivot position, especially Leo Valti was a bit prone to injuries last season. So that's also a bit concerned this season. If we actually do decently and stay in all the competitions, that's going to potentially be big. But Lina Hurtig was a good signing, I think. I think I'm really excited to see her in the WSL, especially with Viv. I think Lena Hurtig doesn't get as much credit as a creative player, which I think she is, because she is a very out-and-out striker in the sense that she's, you know, in the box all the time. She gets those easy striker, not not easy, but she'll get, you know, the top-ins the, or second post-volley as she did in the Champions League. I think that's a good signing, obviously, really tough competition with Stina Blackstinius, who's our, who's already settled in quite decently and is clearly one of Jonas's favorite players like ever, I think, the way he talks about her. Um, so it's not interesting, but I think, yeah, I think that Leo Valti backup is going to be the biggest concern in the long term. And if Leo Williamson and Raffaele stay fit the entire season, then that pivot role is going to be one of the most important roles in the entirety of the team. So that's a bit weird, but Jesse... Cover for Beth Mead. Yeah, this is my concern. Like, I mean, the Leah Valti thing, I think, it, it is worrying, but um, it's a very hard market. I think that's clear. Like, Chelsea have been looking for almost exactly the same profile of player and, and haven't really been able to find one. Obviously, Kira. And Albert, we're all fighting <laughs> for the same player. Everyone's fighting for the same player. I mean, Kira Walsh is obviously the other name who's on the move, and apparently Barcelona are just going to hoard holding like talented holding midfielders so 
But that's also natural because it's very hard to imagine Kira Walsh going to another WSL club, understandably. Like, she is a City fan, so... It's the same with Leah Williamson. She has, she's not going to any like, other... Like, she'll go abroad club. if she goes, yeah. yeah. Um, also, surely the logical Miedemar conclusion is that Miedemar ends up as Arsenal's holding midfield, <laughs> the way she just drops and drops and drops. Oh, my God. But yeah, I think I think keeping Williamson and Raffaele fit will be will be a big deal. But yeah, the reason I think the Beth Mead cut and I know there are like probably players who you can like shift out towards the right, like Hertig or or Caitlin Ford or, or someone like that. But it that to me feels like there was more of a market there, or like I'm surprised Arsenal didn't go out and find cover because I think there are opportunities there to find players like like Bierenstein for example was a player who I was like this would feel like a really logical backup for Mead I think and maybe she just wants to be in a position where she starts all time and like the Juve project's really cool so like I get that like maybe she wasn't interested but that's just what surprised me because I think I look at the Volti stuff and I'm like okay I get it like probably unless you're gonna spend you know 300 to 500 thousand pounds which we've never really seen Arsenal look to do which is fair enough like, you're not going to get that player, but I just don't think that's the case with a kind of right winger. But I think the main thing for me, like, that I can't figure out is, like, what does second season Jonas Eideval look like? Because obviously last year, like, it starts off with this amazing bang. Arsenal, like, look really good. Everything's really exciting. It's, like, fast. It's high intensity. People can't really, like, deal with, with all of that. And then as the season goes on, it gets, like, slower. And, like, the ideas seem to, like, disappear. Do you think that was just, like, people getting tired over the season? Is there, like, something new? It's hard. I would think that it was people getting tired because obviously we saw a few injuries here and there. Squad got thin at one point as well. But I think this season is going to be more about tactical Jonas Eideveld decisions. Especially, you know, having Viv in the midfield. You know, we talk about it being a big deal, but when you when you break it down, it is a really big deal because, again, you take away a position in the midfield, which Arsenal's midfield has always been, you know, kind of the centre of, of attention, especially under Joe Montemurro and, and Arsenal just got used to playing like that. So you take out a position and then you have now a very distinctive player playing in your number 10 position, which then differentiates the way you move the ball forward and how you want to start attacking into spaces and and get the ball into the box. So then that changes. And then you have your wingers who now have to worry about their number 10, you know, floating out um, and then coming in, for example, which is definitely going to happen. I mean, Viv does that quite a lot often. Um, And then you have Sina Baxinius who's there and then you obviously have a new striker Lena Hurtig so it's kind of everything that's going around Viv moving into the midfield I'm very curious to see what Jonas does about that in terms of tactical decisions and how he wants to play and how the players kind of respond to that as well and then obviously yeah with the high press it's I, I think he's very set on the idea so I don't think he's going to change that for anything I think it's just a matter of you kind of hope that it was just because it was the first season and they weren't used to it that the second season is obviously going to be a bit better because now they're kind of accustomed to the intensity of it, the the consistency of it and all that. But I think for the second season, I think Jonas, I am hopeful. I do like Jonas. I really do like Jonas. Um, I think he's, he's been... He's clearly a clever man. Precisely. Like, he's like, he knows... What I respect about him a lot is that he knows what he wants. Mm. And he 
studies it to an extent where he can talk to you about it. Like in press conferences, you ask him a question about what he wants and he's able to explain to you exactly, you know, the, the back, the research, the everything, the X, Y, Zs of it. So he seems like a very thorough guy in the sense that he doesn't just do things just because, and when he does it, he really commits to it, which is quite interesting. But I am curious to see how he commits to this season with the players that he has and the style of play that is going to be affected with moving into the midfield. But I am hopeful. Why are you finishing? I think we can win the league. But I, I'm not saying that as in, like, we are going to win the league. I think the potential is there. Considering, no, but it's just like looking at last season, considering how shite we played at the end of the season and how close we still were to, like, running Chelsea out of the title, it's promising. But then you look at, obviously, our, our you know, trophy competitions and they were all shite. But, like... Would you prefer to sacrifice, like, Champions League? Like, do a Chelsea, go out the group stages... Like, not on purpose, just, like, if that accidentally happened and that allowed you to go and win the league, like, would you kind of take that? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's my worry for Arsenal, is that I think the squad is probably fine if you're not playing Champions League football in spring. Mm. And if you are, I don't see how that doesn't become a distraction. I, I think at this moment in time in how the league has been over the last few years, I think winning the league is definitely a priority over the Champions League. Winning the league, I think right now is more important than winning the Champions League because I think the cha- not winning the Champions League is a lot more forgivable, whereas not winning the league for another year and if Chelsea won the league for, what is it, third consecutive year now? Be fourth. Fourth consecutive year? <laughs> like, that, that, it just sounds stupid. Like It is funny because we look at, like, Lyon or Barcelona... Uh, in their leagues, I mean, I know Leon like lost it quite recently, and think, wow, those leagues are like so uncompetitive. But if Chelsea were to win the league this year for the fourth time in a row, you're like, like the WSL is not a competition. Yeah, especially yeah, especially the argument that the WSL is the most competitive league, and then you have Chelsea winning it every single year, and like obviously that's the most important thing. So like nothing else really matters. It's just yeah, I I think winning the league should be the priority over everything else because of that because. Like you can't let Chelsea win it for fourth consecutive year without like any sort of pressure. Like Man City's not going to do it. Manchester United aren't ready for it. It's literally just Chelsea and Arsenal that are able to compete for that title this season. I think. Okay, let's talk about Manchester City. All the ins and all the outs, really. Um, so obviously, Ellen White's retired. Retired. Lucy Bronze gone to Barcelona. Georgia Stanway's gone to Bayern. Caroline Wood's gone to Real Madrid. And Kira Walsh might still be going to Barcelona. Um, obviously, we'll kind of wait and see for that one next week. Um, they have replaced everyone, technically. Uh, Leila Wahabi, Lai Alexandri, Mary Fowler, Christian Kasparai, Dana Castellanos, Sandy McIver. Very weird signing. But then also everyone's already injured, like Hayley Russell's injured. Alana Kennedy went off injured in the Australia-Canada game, which happened this morning. It kind of feels like so classic Man City, like they're always in crisis. And to be honest, like it's that weird thing where you kind of look at their squad and it's like not a bad set of players, but I just don't see how, I mean, like we all know that I don't think Gareth Taylor is a good manager, but I think a good manager would struggle to replace like the players that have gone. Like if Walsh goes, like they have none of their starting midfield at all. And they now, they then no longer have that pivot player i mean i guess then maybe like that's where like alexandra goes but because everyone's such a fan of that project <laughs> yeah well yeah but 
I don't know, because because it is like they are good players, right? Well, I mean, Man City have always had great players. They just obviously never had a manager to do anything with it. Um, well, obviously, Nick Cushing did really well with Man City, but then Gary Taylor came in and, and you saw the the lack of management in Gary Taylor. I think Georgia Sanway did that interview with Sky Sports, I think it was, and she basically said that she was for 18 months. Like, that's almost two years that you're at a club and you feel like you're at a standstill because you're not in a comfortable position and no one's doing anything about it. I think that was one of the most telling things about Garrett Taylor. Like you have an obviously really good player in a really good midfield that says she was not happy for almost two years that she was under you at the club, like very bluntly as well. And you see how happy she is at Bayern. It's, it's I, I still don't understand that like she she can't speak German like surely you can't be that happy that soon without speaking the language I'm, I'm kidding again before I get attacked for that I mean yeah it's telling that you know Caroline Weir left very happily Georgia Stanway left very happily they're both thriving at their clubs and the season hasn't even started yet and you have again the third starting midfielder who had you know probably the best tournament of her life at the Euros who wants to leave? And I think I think for Kira Watch, it's just very unfortunate how hard and niche it is for a pivot to move around quite easily, if that makes sense. It is interesting. And I think it is very telling the fact that players just don't want to be playing on, under Gareth Taylor. And when you look at the midfields, you know, Georgia Stanway, Caroline Weary, Kira Walsh are very talented players in the sense that they are, are very football intelligent players. And for these kind of players to bluntly say that they don't want to be playing under Gareth Taylor is, I think, very telling. The way we're celebrated for her, like with her goal, like I, I was just like, it says it all, though, doesn't it? Like you feel like I don't believe in this thing. Like you shouldn't like celebrate against. Yeah, you're old. No, like, like, but I'm the, like whatever. There was, but she there looks was so no happy. doubt in her mind. <laughs> yeah, there was no doubt in her mind. She celebrated that goal as if it was God. she just won the Champions League. Yeah, that which was, isn't a great sign. No. That was telling. I think, yeah, I just, Garrett Taylor, just, it's, he's not the guy. He's not a good manager. I don't really think he's a great people person in, in the sense of his relationship with people that work in women's football and, and just the way he is in general. And then obviously the club. I don't really understand how the relationship that the rest of the club has to women's football, because obviously they, they give money, but is it more about here's money, do whatever you want with it kind of sense. And then there's like one person involved in that. But like, yeah, I mean, they, they brought in a lot of players, you know, like Leila Wahabi. Uh, mm, she can be a starter in City, but she can't really be a starter. In, in here's, here's my question that I, I want us all to ponder. Who's the better fullback, Leila Wahabi or Judy Blackstad? Because I think it's probably, you'd probably still go with Blackstad. I would probably go with Blackstad too. Yeah. I, and she's not even a fullback. <laughs> exactly but Leila Wahabi is just not it anymore I mean you saw it you saw it in the Euros Jorge Vila kept trying to play her and it just wasn't working out and the one time he starts Olga Cambona it made the entire difference in the world like you the level was like quite obvious when Leila Wahabi came off Alexandri it's fine I think Alexandri was a decent signing to play as a center back but she's I don't I don't know how to how to say it without sounding like a bitch. Go on, Alex. Not that they're second not that they're second. I don't think anyone's <laughs> under anyone illusions at this point in time. <laughs> that was true. I just I 
they couldn't have gone to top teams and had been starters. Right. In that sense. Like, I think Man City is a big team. Alexandre, right. no? No? Mm, she's she's good, but I think she's plateaued in her development. I think that's my concern with, with these City signings, is that the way, you know, St- the Stanway comments and the way players have developed under Taylor is that I think there's a lot of very talented young players. Like, I think it's like... Four of these players are under 23 that they've brought in. But I don't believe that Gareth Taylor will make them better. No. Whereas I think if you, you went to other managers, you'd feel more confident. Like, okay, they might not be at the level yet, but give them six months and, and they're ready to take that step up. Like Mary Fowler, like, she's ridiculous, right? Like, she could be one of the best players in the world, like, in five years' time. But That's where I get confused with Chloe Kelly signing a new contract with Man City. That's what I, I never, I'd never understood that personally. But, like... Again, Dana Castellanos, she was like South America's best player at one point when she was like quite young. I think probably like 18, 19, 17, around there. She was like FIFA awarded her as as, like she was big and she was good. And then she went off to uni in the States, had a really good career there. And then she went pro to Atletico Madrid and she's become nobody. Nobody in the sense that she hasn't lived up to the expectation of, you know, she was a very world-renowned South American player, had a really good university career, and then now she's kind of just plateaued and kind of just not really gonna... Like, no, we're not talking about Dana Castellanos. Like, nobody, nobody's talking about her. Apart also. from the penalty she took in the Copa America. We talk about that. We did talk about that, because that was really <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, I just... I, I Until Gareth Taylor goes, I'm never going to have a positive outlook on Manchester City. Okay, I think I, think I feel more positive than you. And that's because of full-time Bunny Shaw. Because he can't... Well, I mean, unless... He has unless no he plays, option now. Unless he plays Castellanos at the nine ahead of Bunny Shaw. Um, or I guess he could play Mary Fowler there too. Uh, but yeah, I think the front three of Hemp, Shaw and Kelly, you could put me in charge of that team and they would still score goals. Yes. Because they're that good. Like, Shaw's numbers from last season, like, only Sam Kerr is, like got a better goals per 90 or a better XG per 90 in the WSL than Buddy Shaw. So I think, and I guess the thing is, is like City are out of the Champions League. They only need a couple, again, they only need a couple of draws against a Chelsea or an Arsenal and to like pummel everyone below them to keep up. It is, it's so annoying. Because yeah, they have, I mean, they have great players and they have great names. And you look at Buddy Shaw, who... For some reason, was second string behind Ellen White after she what she did in Bordeaux. I mean, we're gonna mention it again, but she outscored, you know, Gatoto, and that itself is just stupid. But you look at her and you kind of you see that Gareth Taylor just wasn't able to use her, and I don't. I still don't understand why Man City signed her. If I'm being completely honest. Well, they signed her like all of these players, right? Because they're really good players. Yeah. But they, what you're right. Like, what's weird is it's like there's no coherence with what their transfer policy seems to be. It's like. They've got a, I don't actually know how the setup works, but it's like they've got a director of women's football who only like switches on during the transfer windows. Mm. So like they sign all like the good players and then they're like, oh, like I don't, I don't really know what Gareth's doing with them and I don't really care. Yeah, just kind of to stay relevant in the sphere because you're not winning anything, basically. Yeah, I mean, City is so weird to me. I could really sit like, as I say, the WSL like is tight enough that I think you only need a couple of good results against Chelsea and Arsenal to win. Yeah. And equally, I could see them finishing fourth. 
I, I just don't know. Jesse, worst city season, season finishing. I don't know. Like, this is... I don't know. I said they would win the league last, last year. And as I say, I, I still think they could. I do still think they could. Like, they've shown they can beat Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, yeah, the players are good enough to actually get results, but... Like, say they... Say next week... Arsenal go to City. City are probably more match fit than Arsenal because they had to do their Champions League run. Mm. City win one nil. Like you're you're off and running already. <laughs> Viv yesterday was when the Netherlands played Scotland. She was like, "I'm really happy that I I made it to 60 minutes," and I was like, "This is great. <laughs> oh god, this is great." Apparently, it was 15 more minutes than what was like. I think she was supposed to come off at halftime. And then she asked to stay on, and she was like, "I'm really happy that I played those extra 15 minutes." But again, she was she only reached 60 minutes, and I think that was extra 15 minutes, and I'm out basically. So it is true that match fitness is of concern at this moment for Arsenal. And again, like everything's so under wraps, so you don't really know like who's playing, who's fit, who's training, who's not. Um, it's quite hard to go. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have a first hot take of box to box season. Manchester City are finishing fourth. Boom! Damn. And well, this goes. We we asked for listener questions, and Adam asked this. So that's that's my. I think it's quite obvious who I'm going to say who's finishing third. But Man City fourth, Chelsea Arsenal top two, and Jesse, Adam Zotman, Adam Salter. Will this be the season an outsider breaks into the top three? And if so, who will be the team that misses out? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm with you. I could see City finishing fourth, especially because they do only need, like, a couple more injuries. Like, and then you're like... Like, Bunny Shaw, like, wasn't particularly fit, like, lots of last season. Like, that that's part of the reason she did have time out. So, yeah, I think if anyone's going to break... If anyone's going to miss out, it'll be City. And I think if anyone's going to break in, it will be United. I do think they've done very well to hold on to players like Onabadia... Obviously, Tooney and Russo coming off a magnificent, beautiful summer. But that will be interesting as well, because I always think, like, when players have breakout tournaments, it's very interesting to see how they deal with going back into league football and back into a different system. And Elton and Alessia Russo, like, have the potential to be, you know, the kind of two of the best attacking players in the WSL, definitely. But they're no longer exciting young prospects like they come back into this Manchester United squad with expectations on them based on what they just did this summer it will be interesting to see whether they live up to that I mean it sounds like Rousseau wants a move at the end of the year right so maybe that like also pushes you to be to be better but I think I think United have signed well I think they have I think yeah they've held on to well for now they've held on to Shaq Lidunin that's true that'll be interesting I think yeah, I think PSG were interested. I personally really wanted Barca to go after her as a quick Alexia replacement because Shaki Rune is like probably the most cryfist player that there is at the moment. And what better fit would she be at Barca in a position um, where she can probably thrive off of with players around her, you know? And I, I was going to say potentially Arsenal as well, considering how well she plays in the Dutch midfield with Viv already there. Um, so that similarity could have been nice. But Shaki Rune is obviously, I'm a big fan. But yeah, Man United just seem a very coherent team, which I think is the first time that I'm, I see that since Casey Stoney left. 
And it feels like they've got options, right? Like, the, the players, like, they've brought in, like, Adriana Leon. I mean, she did score for Canada. It was a very good goal. She has a lot of energy to put her on, like, as a sub in, like, the 70th minute to actually get runs in quite, like, hard. Same for Lucia Garcia. I think she can start. She doesn't, like, but she doesn't have to start. Um, so you can kind of do that based on her performances. Um, I know you're not her biggest fan, but... I I don't mind her as a player. It just pisses me off how many chances she misses. She suits a team of United's level, I think. Yes, I agree with that. I think she'll thrive at United because she is good enough to play at the level. And if she doesn't score a few goals and it's not as important as it would be in a Chelsea and Arsenal, for example. Or Spain. <laughs> at the Euros. But yeah, I think, I think United could do well. And especially if you're playing with an informal Alessio Russo Elatune with a very stable midfield. You have defensive backups for once. Um, obviously, United centre backs are, have always been kind of the weakest link, but Millie Turner starting to come back. That could be good um, for them. Tunkara? Yes, Tunkara is. I think she's going to do well in this league against Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City because of her physicality and how confident she is. Mm. Um, I think that could do really well. So, I, I, I think this could be United's year. We've obviously been waiting for that for like four seasons now, but... Something that else will be really interesting for, for in this like United, post-Euros United team is that statistically Mary Earps was one of the worst goalkeepers in the WSL last season, but obviously she was one of the best at the Euros. So maybe it all hinges actually on which Mary Earps turns up for this season. Let's hope that it's the Euros because... Bad United Mary Earps is not a good one. <laughs> and Caroline Weir's gone, so she can no longer be uh, chipped in the Manchester derby. It's fine. That that responsibility would go down to Sandra Baños now, which is seems likely at this point, the way she's been playing. I think we could put money on that. Uh, okay. So we're saying, I'm saying, Manchester United third, Man City fourth. I'm going to say City third, United. I just, I just feel like, I don't trust Mark Skinner still. Oh, no, I, I like either. him, but I don't trust him. I don't either. But I think it's one of those where the players can self-manage themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are two two dark horses, which I'm very intrigued by. And I think that's Everton and Tottenham. I think Everton are a bit of an unknown. But really, if you look at their squad, there is still, like, in the same way that we all got hyped about them last season. Mm. I mean, I know a lot of players moved on, but there's still a very good set of players there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it just depends on how Brian Sorensen, how much of an impact he can have. And then Spurs, we know they were good defensively. And they've added some really exciting attacking players. I think Drew Spence is going to be a great like addition to their midfield. Um, Ankara James, Amy Turner. like It's a really solid like five or six players that they've managed to bring in. And I could definitely see them. I think my biggest want from the WSL this season is I would really like to see Tottenham's, Everton's, United's getting wins over Arsenal, Chelsea, City. Because I think we see a lot of like the, oh, Brighton or Reading or Birmingham beat one of those teams. But you know it has like no real impact. Yeah. Whereas I want to see those games between like the teams who come fourth, fifth and sixth, like start to be scary Mm. for the teams who finish first, second and third. Last season, we had kind of Man United. I think it's always, since Man United came into the picture, it was always Man United that was kind of destined to break into the top. But I think now you're kind of seeing, yeah, you're seeing kind of the mid-table teams get closer and closer. Not at that level yet, but they are getting closer to kind of, you know, start burning fire under 
the top clubs, which could be interesting. I think Rianne Skinner, if you're listening, as always, we, we trust you. I will you. say they looked rubbish against Chelsea in preseason. So I still don't believe she can coach an attack. But Ooh. I think she's now got the players to do it. To make it a bit easier. Yeah. Because that Nicola Kartsilwuska, don't know how to say her name, sorry. Mm. She's massive. And she will just score goals by the fact she's massive because she is about five inches taller than a number of WSL defences. So she is as tall as Rosella Ryan is with her hand in the air. So there we go. That's a goal against City. Really? Sorted. <laughs> oh, you still haven't gotten over that, have you? <laughs> Highlight of last season. Okay, so top. Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, Man City. In no particular order, but top four. I think so. Yeah. And and Everton Tottenham in the mix below. We're we're giving up on home pal this season, I think, are we? Yeah, I think so. I actually really worried for Brighton. They lost a lot of they lost a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, I think it's only they only have the fact that Leicester have decided to like excuse themselves from the transfer market to thank excuse the fact that I think Leicester will go down. But I think Brighton might be close. <laughs> okay. So that's we're gonna wrap up on the WSL now. And we're going to come back in just a second to look across the rest of Europe. Well, I can't really say the rest of Europe if we're talking about EU. I'm getting too technical now. Um, <laughs> we're not. We're, ge- we're talking geographic Europe. Geographic the Europe. Okay, cool. 